You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Um, just, of course, this is not something we do very often, and so tonight is, is unique in the sense of what we're doing, but I think it's actually very important. It's important because um, we have lots of issues that even happen within our, our congregation on a, on a regular basis that not everyone knows exactly how to handle and to deal with. With and um, obviously, it's always good to have a professional uh, counselor. And uh, I'm not a professional counselor. I try to do my best in helping people in whatever way I can. But Dr. Flowers has um, taken training and is a professional counselor. He has a PhD as well. So I'm just going to give you a little, a little update on in case you weren't here this morning. Brother and Sister Flowers, they pastor Emmanuel Pentecostal Church. They became the senior pastor of that church in 2020, uh, but they were the assistant pastor under his father, uh, who is the superintendent of the district. They also served as youth pastor in that church, and so they have a great history in the church that they pastor. Um, and Brother uh, Flowers has a Master of Arts in Counseling and a Ph.D. in Leadership. They have three wonderful children, and the children's names are Jaden, Kira, and Chandler. And as I stated this morning, um, Brother and Sister Flowers were part of a, an event that we had for our district over this past weekend in Moncton where ministry teams from churches all over our district came, came together. So pastors and their leadership team, uh, we had uh, between uh, around 225 people or so that attended that leadership uh, equip conference and brother and sister flowers just did a fantastic job at that event and if you were in the service this morning ministered to to us about uh, having his word in us and uh, that is such an important part and so we we decided that we would utilize their expertise for this service tonight and we do have experts so if I think they have a slide that they're going to uh, put up, and if you have a question that you'd like to ask, then you can text uh, my phone. Obviously, those questions will all remain confidential, uh, but we will ask as many as we can get to. Um, what happened was when we did this at the last session in Moncton, uh, there were so many questions we couldn't get to every question. But we did the best we could in the time that we had. And um, so it's been put on social media about uh, sending questions in and sort. But if you want to text my phone, 506-343-0237. 343-0237. I think they had a slide, but maybe they're having some issues. Back there, they are having some issues. So if you could take note of that, 343-0237. 
And uh, Brother and Sister Flowers are both going to comment on different questions. So welcome, Brother and Sister Flowers. Thank you for being at Mission Point tonight. And uh, we do have people watching online, listening as well as in our congregation. And so I'm, I'm going to, I've had a number of questions already come in. And so... Make sure I understand the question again. When there's hurts within the church family, how to handle that being in the same family? And I will say, I don't, I, certainly there are degrees of hurt, so there could be some extreme circumstances that call for extreme measures. But as a pastor, when I think of most average things, when if we think of the church as a family, and you think about your own families growing up. We all have siblings, perhaps, and there were moments when my brother and I would get along great now, but there were times we wanted to kill each other. <laughs> and my parents would always tell me, <clears throat> I can hear my mom saying it even right now, Chad, we're going to find a way to get along, and we're going to get through this. And that's going to require acts of forgiveness and I will tell you, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Um, this is, it, it's a, if, if an offense has been made, uh, you know, typically you deal with things, you know, we follow, we follow Matthew 18, you go privately first. You do, there's several measures before you get to where you're addressing something publicly, but, but do what you can to strive to, 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 to deal with it in private first with that brother or sister. And it's also, and my wife, I'm going to let her talk about the art of maybe perhaps how you have conversations. But uh, I think there needs to be an overall goal here of, of if we understand from God's perspective, the devil's trying to attack unity. And if he can do that by causing division, then he'll win. And so if our purpose is, is that, you know what, we're going to strive and do everything we can. That doesn't mean you've suddenly got to be best friends. That doesn't mean that suddenly you've got to just want to go on every family vacation with them, <laughs> perhaps. But you can find a way to get along by, by making sure there's peace and, and harmony. But I think it would be good for maybe you to address perhaps some of the ways of communication. 
I would also um, add growing up, uh, one thing that got me through a lot of hurt in, in ministry or in the church is just understanding that people are people. Uh, don't expect them to be any more than flesh and bone, um, flesh and blood. And, and the fact that um, we're all fallible, we all have flaws. And uh, when we expect a higher, it, yes, we, we admire people. We have levels of admiration for, obviously, for your pastor and your pastor's wife and, and then different leadership. But they are all still flesh and blood. That's what they are. So if you can understand that, that humanity is, is uh, fallible. Um, as far as communication, I would say um, know the difference between verbal and nonverbal communication. Because many times you can say something, but everything else says something else. I mean, your, your face says one thing, your hands say another thing, and your words are the only thing saying I'm sorry. And uh, so, you know, just understand, sometimes I literally have looked myself in the mirror to make sure that what my words are saying, it's showing. So, Do you want to add anything under the understanding of hurt and harm? Yeah, there, I think this, yeah, I use this example, an illustration at the conference, but the, the, there is a difference between hurt, being hurt and, and being harmed. Going to the dentist hurts, but it doesn't harm you. Does that make sense? Harm is long-term, and there are, there's going to be time. There's just things in a family, in a healthy church like this, and I will tell you, just I can see it just in being with you this morning. This is a very healthy church. I didn't say a perfect church. If we were aiming for a perfect church, then we all need to quit coming. <laughs> but that's not what God intended. And so... There's going to be times that there may be a hurt, but if you determine, realize you can only change you. And I think we will, I think many people will pay lip service to that, but yet they'll sit in across from me in a counseling session perhaps, and they'll, what they're really wanting is for their spouse to change or for that family member or that issue because of the issue, the other person to really change. And you can only change yourself. And, and let me tell you too, there, there are, there is, there is always the potential for growth in hurt. There's always a potential for growth. So when there is an offense, maybe from a brother or a sister, if you can stop, you maybe you want you want to go in that immediate point and demand to be understood rather than seek to understand. But in an effort to aim for peace, also know you know what God's going to help us be better through this. Thank you, brother. Uh, how about a given us some tips on balancing being involved in church ministries and balancing that, balancing that with being overwhelmed mentally, mental health, trying to put some balance in there, want to be involved in ministry, but maybe feeling overloaded with family, work, whatever. You know, there's a... And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here both thinking from a counselor and a pastoral standpoint because as a pastor, I, want, I need everybody to be involved as much as possible. And so I don't like sometimes the next thing I'm about to say, but as a counselor, I'm also sitting here saying, learn where you can say no and balance that 
I, we have some people, I'm afraid, they're getting too good at it, <laughs> saying no, and, and, uh, and, and now I can't hardly get them to do anything, and I don't think it's an issue of salvation, but, but they're, they're, they're really good at, at, at being so guarded with time that it's a little ridiculous, and, uh, and so you definitely balance that, but I think you prioritize how do you, you know, if there's something, if your family's paying a price, if your family is hurt, if there's problems between you and your spouse in the name of I've got to do this ministry. Now, I would have a feeling there's probably other things at play as well. And so I think we make sure home life is in order. We make sure everything on the job is in order. Uh, sometimes people are, I feel like people are too quick to cut ministry out first. And I would argue that that may not be the first thing, but we need to make sure our home life is in order, our marriage, our relationship with our kids. Uh, is in order first, but yes, if you know if you're if if you if you're giving everything uh, to ministry, but you have no relationship with your kids, well, I would argue I, I don't think any I don't think Brother Carter is going to be upset if you tone it back a little bit so that you can have some time with your family. If you and your spouse are desperately needing a date night, but you're giving everything up for the church, it's not going to be an it's not a negative in the eyes of God or your leadership, that you do what you need to do to be able to, to pour some life into your marriage. So my, my short answer going back to it is, is that balance of where you can say no, but let's make sure all things are right first and start with home. you have anything you'd like to add, Sister? To I would just say um, I'm a mom of three, and so, um, and they're, they're fairly young. I mean, we're just entering into the teenage years with one of them. Um, your season of life is really important because if you're not aware of your season, um, like, for instance, for, for moms with young children, get involved maybe where your children are because your children can go with you and they can do those things with you. Uh, we have a very kid-friendly home. We have Connect Group at our house every other week. But I tell people, bring your kids. I don't want any event that I'm hosting to be without your children because that's my stage of life. And so you do ministry with your family, um, but do what you can do. Don't do what you can't do because a lot of us commit to things. We overcommit, and then you live in this guilt and this shame, um, and you feel bad every time you, know, you, you don't follow through. So that's, that's going to be your negative over there. So stay within your bounds of what you can do. Do it as unto the Lord. So a little different trend of thought here, but how do you encourage maybe someone who has a spouse that is not as deep in their walk with God as, as the spouse would like them to be? Um, how, do you have any advice for uh, a spouse that maybe is encouraging uh, their husband or wife to get to a deeper walk with the Lord. A lot of patience. I, and again, let me acknowledge, I'm speaking from more of observation than I, I can't speak on that from personal experience. So I, I want to just acknowledge that up front. But when I think of saints in our church that have been in that situation or great people of faith that I've known, it's a lot of it's a lot of patience and a lot of prayer that that goes into into 
working to gently help that spouse come along without overdoing it and into and it end up becoming a negative yeah don't be preachy um i I think y'all have different groups and things and things here. One of the things that we did is in in starting groups for fellowship, we it gave opportunity for fellowship and we have seen that uh people are more again, at least I'm speaking in Texas, people are more likely to come uh to something that's social and fellowship oriented than uh than always just a church service. And so thinking in terms of how much you can socialize together. We're all busy. We're all, we all got, we've all got a lot of things on our plates. But uh, the, the bottom line, it takes a lot of faith and a lot of patience. And I'm speaking from when I, when I think of those that are in that situation. And I've seen, I've seen their spouses come to God. But, what it, but it also took a love of the church. It took a sensitivity, I would say, too, <clears throat> this is why a church family is so important. It the sensitivity that when you do see sister so and so's husband's coming or brother so and so's wife's coming, um, all the brothers reach out to that to that brother when he comes. And that sister comes with with her husband, who's faithful. Other sisters, be kind, be friendly, and 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 surround them uh, with with care and love and and uh, make it something that they want to come back to. We have an in, a married couple in our connect group, and it's it's interesting to see how she's very strong in several generations, and she's got she's very um, verbal too, and it's funny how she has brought her husband. He comes to every connect group, and rubbing shoulders with other men in our connect group. He's become so much more faithful because he he knows he has friends, and friendships are so very important in the church because um, it's a form of discipleship. So I I think we could say with that it sometimes takes a fair amount of time to maybe see a, a full transition in that type of setting. Going to a totally different thought again. Um, I believe that God's healed me from anxiety, but my parents still want me to take my meds. If I take medication, does that mean I don't believe that God has healed me? I know we, we have people in our own church that have struggled with this, with this thought before. You know, we don't, we don't think negative or judge somebody that's on heart medication. We don't think negative or judge somebody perhaps that's a diabetic that has to take insulin. We don't judge people that may have to take medication because of a dysfunction or problem with another organ of the body. The brain is an organ just like your heart, just like your lungs, just like your just like any other part, your kidneys. And so just and and because of that, there's going to be times that medication may be needed. As a counselor, I'm not always quick to jump immediately to, but I don't rule out the necessity for it if someone needs it. Um, and I would say that if you're thinking of trying to wean yourself off of medication, I think it's very important that you consult your doctor and be informed of potential side effects because brain chemistry being altered 
is a very real thing. It will affect your mood, personality. It can affect your 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 ability to judge. And and if it's if you're on a radical medication, you could talk in terms of blackouts and things that could happen. And you don't want that to happen while driving or while perhaps on the job. So be aware if you do decide to wean yourself off and don't and emphasis on wean, not cutting cold turkey. And you know, there. I, I'll tell you. Like, I have a, uh, uh, we have a family member that that is epileptic and developed epilepsy uh, during their teen years. And this family member uh, had to go on medication. And I remember them through their young adult years praying intensely for God to deliver them. But they, they, anytime they would begin to wean off, they deal with. In, they would just deal with problems. And so. They're an adult now in their adult years, in their 30s, and they're having to be on medication for epilepsy. But I will tell you that this family member, they're, they're, they have a very good job. They make six figures a year. They've been in, they've been in ministry. They, 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 they've served uh, in our local church. They've served on the district level. Uh, they're, they're, in, they're, they're moving into a neat new phase uh, with uh, they're, they're, they're going to probably be a pastor here someday. So, so this is something that that be prayerful about it. And if it's a situation that you find yourself having to be on it, and it's helping you be able to operate in a healthy—I didn't say normal—healthy. If you can be healthy on it, and God doesn't deliver you, just know it may not be that it's God's will. But be informed. And, and communicate with your doctor, your health professional, before you just get off of something. I think that's good advice. Um, we're switching. We switch gears quite. <laughs> how, do we, uh, how do we steadily keep our children protected from the leftist or so-called woke movement that's happening in our world, world right now? Well, I would say um, prayer protects. There's, there's no better protection than prayer. Our children are in public schools, and I talk very openly about things that they come up against at school. My, my daughter um, last year came home. She's in eighth grade this year. This was last year, seventh grade, and started talking about furries. I don't know if you young people know what furries are, but I got educated. Um, yeah, they're they're not in their head, but furries are individuals who identify as an animal, or they decide they want to act like an animal, and they will not talk to you in words. They will growl at you, bark at you, or uh, hiss, or whatever. I mean, crazy. This is the world we live in. But the thing is, is... I teach my kids we are in the world, we're not of the world. And if we learn as parents to put the right things in our kids, that is protection. That is teaching them to make the right choices when, this, when the situation arises before them. Um, my daughter starts telling me about things that um, kids may say in front of her at school, and she's learning to have boldness about her and say, you know what, when I'm around, please don't discuss that. Don't use those words. And, and any Holy Ghost-filled young person or parent 
should be able to teach their children that because um, the world's not getting better and it's not going to get better. And so protecting them from the woke movement. um, Another thing that happened this year is my daughter brought home a book from the, the book fair, which most parents think that they're pretty safe just going walking around and picking up a book. Well, they're not safe anymore. Just so you know, my daughter brought home a book that said, um, Cinderella is dead. And apparently this was a book that two females were wanting to have a relationship. Um, But I talked to my daughter about those things. And my daughter immediately, when she realized it, she was very naive about it. And when I looked at it, I go, no, I think I know what this is what's happening. And immediately she wanted to take the book back the next day. And she got her money back. Um, But she was able to stand up for what she believes. And I think that's what we have to teach our kids is to use and tell them. uh, Brother Court Chavis uh, preached a sermon to our young people a few years back. And it said, um, he, he used the illustration. And young people, if you have the Holy Ghost, it's like a car Okay, you know how these these show cars, they're so beautiful. And most of these people who who uh, own them, they like to look at them. They don't they don't drive them. Most of them don't. They just want everyone to see how beautiful they are. Well, the Holy Ghost is not meant to say, oh, I got it. I got it. See, it's pretty. Isn't it pretty? But you're supposed to get in the car and drive it. And when you've got the Holy Ghost, and as a young person, you've got to learn to get in the car and drive the car. Not just say, I got the Holy Ghost. Because five years ago, you may have gotten it, but where is it today? And so, I don't think protecting them is the answer in the sense of saying, I don't want them to know about it. I don't want them to be around it. Protect doesn't, maybe not equal shelter away from Exactly. Protection is teaching them that, you know, through prayer, through supplication, their own prayer life, and through getting the Holy Ghost and having it alive and well in your home, that's your protection, I believe. Maybe you could go ahead. Just let me add this, and and I don't know, I don't know what all the options are here versus versus what we have down in Texas, but I can tell you within our church. You have some kids in public school. You have kids in private school, charter schools. You have kids in home school. I'm not, I'm not going to walk a road in any way that would advocate for or against a, a choice on that because if you do have choices, every parent has to make their own choice with what they feel is best. But what I would just add to the whole shelter, your kids are going to deal with it at some point. They're going to deal with the culture at some point. And I worry about some parents that their idea of protection is sheltering them from it, trying to keep their them totally isolated from it all the way until they're graduating in 18 and they've never been exposed to it. And when they're finally exposed to it and they're out of your house and you don't have control, then they don't know what to do because they've never had any experience with it. Just to add to what she's saying. So Think in terms of you're training them. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You train them. You don't raise children. We raise chickens. But we train children. So we're training them. Have you ever heard that statement before? 
I have said it many times. So I'm pretty confident they caught that, Brother Flowers. Um, maybe you could give some tips on, on handling correction well within the church. So if someone needs to be corrected in a sense of from leadership, maybe helping people with uh, being able to handle that or take it. And I do think it's two-sided, correcting properly. Um, I have a process that we praise in public and correct in private uh, but maybe you could give some tips on that if possible I, I was going to say I, I with without knowing that I was going to say I can give my reaction but if y'all do it different I hear you follow your pastor but uh, uh, regarding correction again we're the same way praise in public correction in private and uh I think it's always how things are said. I, I was sharing this story privately with your pastor on the uh, way back from, from Moncton yesterday. It, growing up, I, in, in, when we were in our pastoral succession during that five-year period before our handoff in 2020, I learned a lot. And one of those things was uh, my dad gave me the liberty to address a few things uh, that had to be addressed in and I, I, I learned real quick as the leader how I address it. It's not what you have to say. It's how you say it is so important. And I've been guilty of charging in with the wrong attitude as the leader. And I think I'm doing a good thing because I'm fighting fire with fire. And I have to realize, and I've had to make apology and... and uh, uh, because I did it with the wrong attitude, I also appreciate when I've you know when I've been corrected before. It hurts. It don't feel good. I don't like being told I've done something wrong, and I don't like being you know who who enjoys being told, "Hey, brother, I need to I need to, you did something wrong," or "Hey, sister, you know we we need to we need to change how we're doing something." I mean, who really loves that? <laughs> but I think if we realize. The goal here is salvation. I, I'm going to say this, and, and, I, and I think I can speak for your pastor on this. I tell our people back home, I have one agenda for you, and you are looking, and I'll tell our church, you are looking at a man that has an agenda for you. I have one agenda to get you to heaven. I have one agenda to, that you and your household are saved above all else. We must be saved. I don't care what kind of job you work. I don't care if you get that bonus or not. I don't care if you get that degree or not. I don't care if, you, if all your aspirations and wants are met. But my agenda is that we're saved, that we get to heaven, that, that, that we live for God. And that being said, if I can appreciate that, that my leader is, that's what, that's what they're after in my life, then I can take from them what they're trying to to do for me even if it's not what I want to hear so that's probably more the pastor hat than the counselor hat <laughs> you want to add to that sister I would just say there is constructive criticism um, that if you could ever just understand that it can make you better you know who doesn't want to be better um, through our transition I I've told people so many times we had a five-year transition 
I am a different person now than I was the when the five-year transition began. And it was because I started, I realized, and I and Sister Flowers and I had conversations where I would I would quiz her to see, okay, if I'm thinking this way, tell me if I'm thinking right. Sometimes you can bypass having to be, a, a, I don't know, a cut down or, or, or uh, corrected if you learn to ask, you know, ask for someone to, to make sure you're thinking right. And I'm really big on um, giving someone of authority, spiritual authority in my life, veto power. Um, my mother, my dad, my mother-in-law, and there's about two other ladies in ministry, elders in my life, that they know they can tell me, um, I think you need to go back to the drawing board because you're not thinking right. And so if you, if you are, have the, the humility enough, not that I'm the most humble person in the world, <laughs> I've had to eat humble pie, but when you can, you can submit yourself to that and say, can you tell, this is what I'm thinking, am I thinking right? then you can actually bypass being being uh, corrected before you act. And so just being able to say, you know, correct me if I'm thinking wrong. That's good. Uh, another question concerning um, someone that has come to church, their spouse is totally of a different denomination at this point. And so maybe just some thoughts, uh, maybe in addition to what you've said already that would help an individual uh, that that their spouse is not attending yet. There's a story in Acts that um, my dad, I've heard him talk about so many times, and it's um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and how um, they had a measure of truth. And, you know, if your spouse is in a religious uh, organization that, say, is Christian, but it does not, it's not full truth. And I've learned with friendships, I have, I'm very big in being involved in my kids' schools, so I'm on PTA, I'm very um, active with teachers and, and with the community. I have learned to respect what they have because many of them love the Lord. And their love for God, really, sometimes I feel I feel convicted because their love for God seems greater than mine. And I'm like, God, I want to I have that tenderness. But they don't have full truth. That doesn't mean they don't have any. You know, if they read the word and they do have uh, a form of the truth, respect what they do have. And sometimes you will see your respect alone will grow conversations to where hunger arises and I have seen that with friendships in my life anything you like to add brother uh, you know I'm sitting here trying to think if there's any I, I go back to just the the prayer and patience and and the, sh the church showing love and kindness every opportunity and the Bible does say about the spouse being won by the conversation and um, I think the writer is giving us the example that that is conduct. So your conduct in your whole daily lives do speak without you ever saying anything to that spouse. So I think that's probably a good um, 
a lesson to follow. It says, I have a lot of anxiety about spending money, and it has created some tension in our marriage. What's the best way to handle this? Well, let me say, I, number one, I, I, if, I were, if this were in a counseling situation, because we've, I've certainly been in those settings, what I don't know in, in an effort to answer this question is, is what's producing the anxiety? I don't know if it's because there were problems in the past, and so that's what, if, they're in, if those problems are resolved or not. Or if it's just that the background was, well, we were, we were tight-fisted with our money growing up, and so that's just, you know, that's just the way it always was. I, so there's a lot of unknowns to this, but I would say certainly, you know, I, communication with your spouse, budgeting. I don't know if you're—I will say this. There was a great book, and there's probably other books out here now, but one that Brother Willoughby made me read when I was in Amer in Singapore was Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, um, which I, maybe people here have heard of Dave Ramsey and uh, Financial Peace University. But uh, uh, I, if, I will say if the anxiety is due in part to there's a, there's a, the spouse has a spending problem that's not resolved yet, uh, well, then the anxiety perhaps is warranted and there is a deeper problem there that needs to be corrected before that anxiety can really go away. But again, there's, there's, that would be my basic answer just because there's unknowns. Um, could you maybe help us uh, as a number of people that have maybe uh, not necessarily that are all here tonight, but I'd like to ask this question personally of individuals that deal with abandonment in a very young age, um, maybe from a parent and how that affects them uh, later on in their lives and some things that they could maybe do to help alleviate that suppressed thoughts and memories and the again things that we experience in our childhood definitely impact the uh, they can they can impact the rest of their lives and and so you know our our view of things is is formed early on and your relationship with your parents can can impact your view of god your and your relationship with god based on that and uh and so i would say if there's an there's an individual that's that's dealing with abandonment from a spiritual side if you're full of the Holy Ghost or you're seeking the Holy Ghost, let, let God's Spirit and His Word work on you. Because, number one, it can do things, and it can move leaps and bounds over obstacles and faster than, than what human help can do. Human help can, is needed, and I'll, I'll add that. I'll add what that can be. But um, if, if abandonment is causing, tr I would tend to think a person with, with abandonment issues, I would think, number one, there's going to be a problem with trust um, in other individuals. Uh, there could be perhaps a lack of a, a fear of intimacy in a marriage if there's been abandonment because of that hurt. Because they really, neglect is more harmful 
than physical abuse. It's actually been proven. So if a person's been neglected and abandoned, uh, there's going to be all kinds of issues there when it comes to trust and re building relationships. Uh, perhaps that person could even be a little bit socially backward. And so I think that it behooves the church family to, again, be very patient and loving and kind and caring for an individual as they work through those things. Counseling it would be a very would be a very positive thing if that's if that's available to to you to, to perhaps deal with issues if if there is if there's bitterness or hatred towards someone because if you're not careful you can project that onto others and you know there's a uh, let, me, let me give you an example I'll just I'll just share this I was counseling with a a uh, teenage young lady many years ago. And her father, basically, his, he abandoned her, but he abandoned her because he was sent to prison. And the last words he said to her before he left for prison, she was a freshman in high school, so she would have been at that time about 14. And his, only, his, his last words to her before he was taken away was, well, I just hope you don't get pregnant before you graduate high school. Not, I love you, and we're going to make it through this, and I can't, you know, we're going to stay in touch. Daddy's, Daddy's got to go, but he's, he's behind you. He's, he, he, he's always going to support you. And none of that. That, that was it. And at that time, with, according to what this girl told me, she was, a, she was, and I hope this is okay. I know there's several ages here, but at that time, she was innocent. She was, she was a virgin, but by the time... I saw her three years later, in her words, she was saying, I can't, I, I've lost count of how many I've been with. And she was living up to basically what the father had said to her. So when someone says, you know, uh, you know sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that's, that's a lie. What we speak, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue, according to Proverbs. And this is where I do believe a church family can speak life to where there's been death. And so when there has been abandonment, if there's a, if there's a, again, if we can learn to see each other through, if we can learn to see each other through God's eyes, and the, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, Brother Carter. I'm probably chasing a rabbit with this. But I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that little church in Memphis, Tennessee, when my grandmother, my grandfather wanted nothing to do with church, but my grandmother, who at that point was a young mother, and brought three little little rough-looking boys. My dad was the middle, middle child of those three into church. They were they were poor. They didn't they didn't have anything. They 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 weren't much to look at. But she brought them in and and here's what's crazy. I'll say that I'm really chasing around here. They'd gone to the Pentecostal church and the Pentecostal church wasn't friendly to them, so they went to the Assemblies of God church down the street, that was a little farther drive. And that Assemblies of God church brought them in and loved them. What's amazing is they would later go back because after my grandfather prayed through, he got the oneness revelation, and so they, they, they moved over to the other church. But because, because they loved, because, I mean, she had had abandonment issues growing, you know, in her marriage and growing up, and 
and all and 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 so she was basically raising those kids by herself because my grandfather he was always working but the church loved them and because that church loved them and was patient with them and and when they did eventually move over and got plugged in and by the time they got into that new that Pentecost church it had a new pastor and the culture had changed it ended up producing a missionary it produced a pastor it produced a pastor's best friend and my other uncle so we never know what people are dealing with when they walk through our doors. But if we can, if we can love and if we can be patient and we can see things through God's eyes, we can help someone overcome those issues. I know I've really chased a lot of rabbits with that. Uh, when a family member deals with depression, uh, what's some, maybe some positive ways to help them in those types of situations? Well, in, in, let me say this, there's, there's depression over immediate things and then there's long-term like clinical depression. You know, when someone's, someone's dealing with depression because they've just buried a family member, don't tell them, well, you know what, we've, we've all got to go sometime. <laughs> That's not the thing to say. You know, I will tell you, people mean well, but you know, the thing to say at a funeral when someone's grieving over their, their lost loved one is not to say, well, they're in a better place. You know, that's not what people need. To, let, me, let me say this. Depending on what the depression's over, I would first say sometimes just loving someone without feeling like you've got to have the answers. You know, Job's friends did their best, were, they, they did their best work as a friend before they ever started talking. You read Job, their friends came and said, and for, and for a period of time, they were silent and said nothing. And that was when they were doing their best. It's when they started to open their mouths and talking that things went awry. And uh, we think sometimes we have to have all the answers. We think we've got to say something. And the reality is there's no, re there's no, re it's okay to just love and cry with someone. Now, that's that side. Now, someone that's got long-term clinical depression, they're, they're, I mean, it's at a place to where they cannot function in a healthy manner. Well, perhaps if they, if they need, if, if, there, if there is a need for medication, if there is a need for counseling, in order to help that person function healthily, that's the key word, healthy. We're after healthy. We're not after normal. We're after healthy. We're wanting them to be able to function healthily. And so... It could be that that we we help them. Perhaps a person with depression may not have good structure in their lives, and so we have to help them build a structure. You have to help that family member uh, be disciplined. Perhaps they're in a place because of depression that, and I'm thinking in terms of like what we were talking about burnout yesterday. If they're if they're at a place where they're wanting to be isolated, well, perhaps as that loving, caring person, they're fighting you, but for their welfare and their benefit. You make them be a part of things to make sure they don't get isolated into a point of danger uh, because, because that's, that's some of the things that you can do is you can be that safe community. You can, you can help them if, uh, if they're at a place. Again, I think it's just you judge where they're at. If it's, if it's depression is in terms of like grief over something sudden, giving space, but if it's long-term, Get them help if they need it. Get them, it's okay. Medication may be needed even if it's just for a season. That'd be my answers. How can you help someone restore their faith when they are, are 
unsure or living in an era or time period where they're not totally sure of their faith. Do you have any advice that you could give someone in that? I think it's, I mean, at some point in a person's uh, life, they do get to a place where they question things um, just because, say, if you've lived in in this walk, say, from birth, you know, or I was very young when my parents came in the church, you want you may stop and evaluate wondering if if this is truth, you know, am I just doing this because someone has told me to do this? Um, I would say for a young person that that's very common. For an adult, um, sometimes I would say, and my husband could comment on this, um, experiences in, in life cause you to question. Um, going to college and getting the secular and the liberal mentality in college can cause you to question. Um, but facing or being side by side with someone that you know is questioning, I would say w I've, I've been there with friends where I gave them a place to talk without judging because um, judgment is going to for sure push them away. Um, it's so hard to not, um, when a person is talking like they're almost betraying the God you serve, it's really hard to not feel a little bit offended. And so immediately, your immediate reaction is to rise up within you like, I can't believe you're thinking like this. But that will, uh, I would say that will cause them to feel offensive and uh, because you have now started acting in a defensive manner. And so in the way that you, um, you uh, talk with them and communicate, it, give them a place that's safe to talk without trampling on truth and when they do start treading you know lightly tread back in the right direction you know because I think that um I've I've heard my dad growing up I would he was oh so amazing in Bible study teaching and I still he's still a great Bible study teacher and a lot of times I'll I'll remember things that I heard where he would he would take what people uh will say and give them the the love of God. It was like he would be able to flip, you know, what you think is hurting you, God can make this. And finding a way to to emulate the love of God. Um, here just recently, I have felt such an impression to pray, God give me a genuine love for people. Because I think sometimes we just get so busy in our life that um, we're kind we know how to smile. We know how to hug, shake hands. But when you truly are having the love of Christ in you for people, I believe that 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 love is is supernatural, and that love can pierce through the 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 sharp and the jagged edges that people may bring at you. And so, giving them a safe place to talk sometimes will help open those doors. If I if I can add this, I want to give two book references. Um, maybe you've heard of uh, the book by John Townsend and Henry Cloud, Boundaries. 
if there's things in short boundaries, it's a very good book. Um, and so get that. It just it will help with structure to your life and those and those kind of things. There's another book by Henry Cloud came out about ten years ago called Necessary Endings. And I don't know if this it, it goes along with this question or not, but it did trigger when you ask the question if you're unsure. Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And he in the book he talks about there's a section in the book where he talks about the metaphor of a gardener. And the, metaf- and the gardener growing a rose bush wants the rose bush to be as healthy and as beautiful as it can be. But the gardener has to trim things and in certain things in order so that, the, so that the best roses can get the best nutrients. And so the gardener will end certain things or cut and prune things that are long since dead. So... If you're unsure about something, one thing to look at is that, obviously, are there things that you're doing that really are a waste of time or that are producing nothing? Are there things that you're pouring time into that there's no, there's, it's, 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 it's not productive. It's not what God's called you to do. It's not, it may not be sinful, but it just, it's something that's a weight that you're giving time to that really, if you would lay it down, if you'd move on that you, you would see yourself not torn between things. So we prune some things because they're dead. But the other thing that's harder to do is we prune some things that are good in order to give resources to the best. And so there are some roses that a gardener will go ahead. They're perfectly good roses, but the gardener will clip those roses in order so that other roses can get more nutrients. And so if you find yourself spread a mile wide and an inch deep and you're, and, you, and you're at a place where you don't know what to do, it could be that you need to narrow some things and end some things in order to give more energy to more focused areas. Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. Someone who's dealing with chronic stress, childhood adversity, is it normal for a person to deal with anger, be short-tempered, and how do they handle the guilt of that happening or having a short fuse because of that? The uh, anger and control or lack of control go hand in hand. And so when there's, when there's a lack of control, when, thing, when you feel like things are out of control, that definitely can make a person angry and... Uh, and you know chaos can make a person feel angry and so i don't know if i'm going to go the right direction with this with answering this question or not but uh what was the first part of the question again cuz i want to make so a person that's dealing with chronic stress chronic stress childhood adversity is it normal as a person to deal with anger guilt because of yes. that it is it, i would say yes it's normal I think one of the things I can tell you in, in therapy that we would be working with clients on, and this is not you do this in one session, but think in terms of what you can control. You've got to focus on what you can control. Only, only, uh, only victims truly have no control. And if we're not careful, we can, we can be angry and constantly look at things as, well, I have no control. I have, it's, not, it's not my fault. I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, 
this was this was done to me. And if we're not careful, we can have a victim mentality uh, or we're angry because we don't feel we have any control. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are things that we can control. And that may be different per person, but focusing on looking at, okay, what things can I change? What things do I have control of? And when you are honest with yourself and you work through those things, there, there is change that can happen within each of us in order to be able to, to impact our daily lives and how we look at things. So that's what I would say. So is there a way for us to give ourselves a little grace in, in that type of situation? Absolutely. And I think, I think once you see what you can control, uh, when, you, when you realize that, well, maybe my, talked about this like cynicism at, at the conference. You know, when, when we're cynical, when we, we've become cynical, we've just become, maybe we don't trust anybody or because of background. Well, cynical people are not curious people, and curious people are never cynical. And by curious, uh, this is in Kerry Newoff's book, Didn't See It Coming. Another, I'm a big reader. I love, I'll, I'll recommend books all day long. Kerry uh, Newoff, because he's here in Canada. Uh, I, think he's near, I think he's in Ontario, in Toronto. Uh, Barry. And so the, uh, but didn't see it coming. And he talks about cynicism. And if you're not careful, you can, you can become cynical. But part of how you overcome that is, is growing curious, seeking, seeking new things out. And, and, uh, and really biblically, what we'll be talking about is, is working on your faith. It may be that you've got to start with saying, you know, God, where, how do I start growing my faith back? Faith in God, faith in humanity, faith in things, things that, that we can change and we can see for the better. And a lot of that has to do, too, I can tell you, with getting our eyes off ourselves, back on God's kingdom, back on doing his work. I'm going to, um, I'm speaking from a mother's point of view, but, uh, but even young families, um, uh, young marrieds, he talked about... Um, the what you can control many times our world it favors busyness and it is and i really think that's the that's the tactic of the enemy in this day and age um i mean i'm not going to be uh tempted to do drugs but busyness the enemy that he knows that that's what a mom I know, multitasking, it's what we get ourselves into. And so um, there was a book, um, uh, Being Mary in a Martha World, that spoke to me so much because it, it talked about the urgent things versus the important things. And prioritizing is so important in our world um, because if we're not learning how to prioritize what is really urgent, your prayer life is urgent. That's not important. That's urgent. Um, I have learned that when I'm not praying, and when I was a kid, I used to be able to, t to, my mom would be like, you know, are you okay? And I would just let her know, I just haven't prayed today. I knew when something was chaos inside me. So if you have not prayed and you don't have a prayer life, uh, chaos is, is normal. That has, that, that kind of, because that's the tactic of the enemy. But learning to um, structure your home life. As a woman, um, and, and sometimes it's different in households, but 
Um, I think we are very in charge of the the tone in our home, the atmosphere in our home. And so if there's chaos in the home, then uh, you are going to be stressed. And guess what? Your kids are going to be stressed. You now have let them know this is okay, it's normal, because I'm teaching you to be stressed. And I've learned that with my own children is I'm, I realize it, and I'm like, oh, I've got, to, I've got to change this. But learning to structure, I am a big believer in crock pots, instant pots, and air fryers, and all of that, because I don't like to go out to eat with my kids during the week, because all that does is add travel time. We live in a metroplex, you know, getting there, and the kids don't enjoy being at the restaurant. And so a lot of times I'm like, we're home every day of the week, uh, for dinner because I'm trying to keep just keep structure and keep calm and so there's some practical things in there okay we got many more questions but we'll try to uh, start bringing it to some type of closure um, got some difficult situations when hanging out with church friends that don't always set a good example when's the appropriate time to speak up disconnect or um, kind of make a distance, I guess, between yourself and in the friendships? Right away. <laughs> I mean, there's, you guard your, you guard your time. You can be friends at church, but if you know they're out, if they're going to pull you away, then and do things that aren't right, why are you hanging out with them? I think that's, I mean, that's, I will say, there, again, there's always kindness, how you say things. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. But, yes, I mean, there's, if you know there's someone you're with that's a risk of pulling you down, whether in church or out of church, uh, influencing your family, you need, to, you need to be guarded with how you spend your time around them. So two words. Stop it. <laughs> that's, that's an inside joke the best counseling advice just stop it <laughs> um so uh let's so maybe you could give um just some advice on this goes back to a similar question that was happening before but some advice on people who aren't 100 percent sure 100 percent sure in what they believe as uh, any more advice you'd like to add to uh, them in spirituality. Well, for me, part of me wonder, wants to add, or part of me, I just know, what voices are you listening to? What are you, I think it's time to do inventory. What are you giving your time to? What fruit are you producing? And who, who are you listening to? Uh, we we have to be we have to be intentional. We I I seek out voices in my life. I seek out mentors. And here's the thing. Mentors they're not sitting there with nothing to do waiting for me to come to them. But I can tell you I I have yet to ask somebody, "Hey, could I call you? I have questions for you. Is it okay if I reach out to you?" I have yet to be told, "No, I'm too busy. Don't bother me, kid." Uh, 
I, everybody I've ever asked that of, they are more than willing. Now, it may be they're like, now, please give me some time, or this is when I'm available. You have to, I have to work with their schedule and respect that. But my point is, I was intentional. Iron sharpens iron. And so I would say if there's somebody unsure of, of where they're in their walk with God or what, or what they're dealing with, I think you need to look at one of the things that we do in counseling. The very first thing is we set goals. Why are we meeting? You're coming here. You're paying me. You're, you're, you're sitting in this room. You've, you've been the one that's driving to me. What are we going to work on while you're here? Yes, there's a problem, but what, what do you want to get out of this? Well, that's the same thing I would challenge somebody. You know, if you're unsure, can you at least point to somebody that you want to be like? Or, or you see, can you at least point to somebody that there's a character trait or an aspect that you admire? And then I would tell you, then go to that person if it's somebody that you have access to and talk with them. Uh, ask for their time and seek out mentors. Iron sharpens iron. This is why the family of God is so incredible is because we can influence each other. Okay, so I have many more questions, but we'll maybe pin it down to this one. Um, when a child, a sibling, has been favored by a parent, maybe still happening, how can you maybe give some advice towards the child in, in, in uh, thinking properly towards the parent, um, not having hurt or bitterness towards the parent? It, it is a real thing. We just actually had a funeral, and, uh, <laughs> and while it was humorous to, to hear it addressed at the same time, it was kind of sad that, yes, this person did certainly have a favorite child, and uh, that was they loved all their children, but it was apparently ob from what the children shared at the funeral, it was pretty obvious, uh, even though it was humorous to hear, that they, they grew up knowing that there was one child that was the favorite. And being that I pastored one of these individuals as an adult, I could tell they, I think they were guarded to not let it affect their, their ability to function healthily in, in how they raise their kids. If anything, they let, having grown up with that as an adult, when they were married and started having their own children, I appreciate that they said they were very intentional not to do that they, because of what they knew how it felt. So in one sense, you can use that experience as an example of what not to do with your own family. If it is at a place, though, where it, maybe it's causing you to have some bitterness, um, you're going to have to, again, you can't change the parent. You can't change the situation yourself. You can, you can perhaps, uh, I, I don't know, I, there's, there's always perhaps things you can try, but at the end of the day, I think you're going to have to pray that God helps you in your spirit stay guarded against against letting bitterness come in because it's more than likely even if you address it it's probably not something you're going to be able to change what i don't know but something that's crossed my mind since we've had this because i know this is a real thing down for us is we have a lot of blended families and one of the things that we did have was not a parent to a child but we had children in a blended family that now the children have grown and have their children and so there's grandchildren involved, but it's in a blended family situation. And one of the problems that's arising is the fear that, well, you're giving more attention because that's your biological, that's your biological grandchild. 
And so, therefore, you're blessing them with gifts and things more than mine. But, you know, so there's, there, there's that hurt. And I would say this, this is not part of this question, perhaps, but unless it happens to be from a blended family situation, but I would say another great book uh, by Ron Dill, D-E-A-L, The Smart Step Family, because a lot of this is found in step family situations, and two out of three marriages that we're conducting today are blended families of some kind. But I would, but I don't mean to chase that rabbit too far, but to get back to the question Yes, you're going to have to pray that God guards your spirit because there's probably not a whole lot you're going to be able to. You can't change other people. All you can do is just realize this is something that that you know how it impacts you. So you're not going to you're not going to let that carry into the next generation. So here in Canada, we dealt with a lot of um, probably difficult situations through the pandemic. Um, Pros and cons on both sides. You get lots of opinions. But there's still in individuals that are dealing with the mental effects of what happened over a two-year period plus. And maybe do you have any advice that you'd like to share with families that are still trying to, because there's lots of, um, there's families that have opinions on both sides, uh, I know of a families that not necessarily from this church, but they can't even have the topic discussed while they're together because of the animosity that arises. So do you have anything that maybe generally you could say to us uh, as a church family to or individual families to help encourage, get past any mental effects that the pandemic? Uh, I'll give you I'll give you some examples. So we have people that lost loved ones during the pandemic that never really got to properly have proper funerals, grief, grief properly, properly. Uh, we have people um, that, you know, isolation caused a lot of distress in their homes, children, lots of, so there's many different facets, I guess. So maybe that's a broad question, but maybe you could, I just read something today um, by a lady who she posted it to our church family. We have a private page on Facebook. She lost her. Well, first off, she got sick with COVID. Her husband took care of her and he turned around and got sick. He went into the hospital and she never saw him again. And he passed away with no one by him by his side. And um, a year later, she was with her mother, who was 101 years old. <laughs> and she took God, I, I really believe it was the, the Lord who spoke to her. And she went and got her mom from Florida. She's from Texas. And took her up the East Coast. She's from Maine. And took her up to uh, see her home place and just kind of took her on a little. On that trip, her mother had a heart attack or something, and she passed away. And so that was just a year after her husband passed. And she was posting this morning, and she meant she just really appreciated her church family. There, I have, I have uh, reminders in my phone on her husband's birthday and on the 
the date of his death uh, to check in with her. But I'm not the only one, apparently, because there were numerous ladies. I would see on Facebook, so-and-so took her out to dinner, to lunch. And, and um, remembering the heartache that these people went through, and she was talking about this was the hardest two years of her life. And she's a very strong lady, and so it's really easy, I think, for us to think, well, they're okay. You know, they're strong. They're, they, they seem to be doing really good because we usually do put our, fir- our best front forward when we're in front of people. But when they go home, it's lonely. And she lives alone, and her daughter's out of church. And, and so um, seeing this made me realize, you know, and she, she said it deliberately, that it was her church family who brought her through. And they continue to love on her. And so as a church family, again, I mean, so many times we've mentioned, um, I'll be the first to tell you I was from, my parents were first generation. We were the, the black sheep of the family. I mean, we were not. Uh, and he, going back to that favored um, sibling uh my my dad will tell you he dealt with that all his life with his youngest sister and especially when we got the holy ghost <laughs> because he went from being the you know the rascal in the town you know having drugs and all that to flipping it and now he was a preacher of the gospel and it honestly it convicted my that that family and so um so there's there's that uh, feeling of your church family, and I said all that to say, growing up, my church family was way closer to me than my blood family. When my pastor's wife passed away, I think I grieved more than when my grandfather passed away, because the effect and the the um, uh, the level of impact that she had on my life was so different from the impact that my grandfather, whom I loved had on my life. And so the church family, again, love conquers all. And if you can just be that person who says, I'm going to send them a card and they're going to get a card from me every year when this person passed away or when his birthday or her birthday, and it just letting them know you're not forgotten. It's like 9-11 in America. You know, it's we. the term is always... You're ne- it's never forgotten. And that's exactly how that grief moment cannot be forgotten. Anything you'd like to add, Brother Flowers? Uh, y- you know, in an in a effort to be transparent, you know, we've never been through anything like this pandemic. It was worldwide. And the closest thing that I can recall was Spanish flu that was 100 years ago. Well, none of those people are around for us to ask, how, how, you know, how did you survive that? And uh, uh, so I think, it, I think constantly going back to acknowledging this is, this, is, this is a new experience that impacted everybody worldwide. We're still learning from it. Um, and yes, even at home, same thing. We have people that are very rigid to people that... that you know, they don't, they don't, you don't, you're not going to tie them down. They're not going to wear a mask over their dead body to those that they're barely coming to church still. And, and, 
you know, all I know to do is we just, we just, again, our goal, I go back to our goal and our agenda is above all else, we must be saved. And that we're not going to let, yes, we may have our differences and opinions on those things about the vaccine or the mask or things because of hurts of someone dying and whatnot, but, but we're not going to let that distract we can, we're welcome to have our differences on that, but we're not going to let it distract us from our overall goal. And uh, with that all being said, it's a new thing that we're all learning to juggle. I wish I had a lot more corn in the crib that I could speak on. Well, here's how you handle that, but it's new for all of us. I want to take a moment and just thank Brother and Sister Flowers for a wide range of questions course when you have questions coming in like that there there's no preparation <laughs> for the questions well in advance um, we're not doing a debate and the questions are sent in ahead of time um, but thank you brother and sister flowers for participating tonight I think it would be important for us to all remember what Isaiah prophesied that we would have a counselor he would be the best counselor and uh, I think if we, I think if we put our faith and trust in God to the best of our ability, add the professional help that's available, um, God will give us wisdom and direction moving forward in a lot of the things that were shared tonight. And I think, um, I think having the Lord at the center of our lives, God's not, our, our serving God is not a ladder, and we have God and family and ministry, it's, it's not like that. God is in the center of our life and everything else revolves around him. And I think if we keep God in the center, there are going to be times when we're going to maybe need extra help or whatever the case might be, maybe even some personal counseling and discussion of things that have happened in people's lives in the past and all kinds of things. But keep God in the center. You have, you have not only a professional counselor, but you have a pastor here that has shared with us heartbeat. And the pastor's a great church. They have a great, great church as well. So thank you, Brother and Sister Flowers. Thank you for participating, church. I know it's a unique night tonight, but we're going we're gonna to end this uh, in prayer. Pray for you. And um, I do think it's important for us to come to church uh, for not just one reason, but to have things like we have done tonight because not everybody sitting in the congregation, not everything is okay. Uh, everyone walked through the door. Maybe everyone portrayed everything's okay, but not everything is always okay. And sometimes we just need to have sessions like we just had tonight that help people through maybe challenges that will give just another good piece of advice to help them along the way. So thank you, Brother and Sister Flowers, for being part of that. And maybe I would ask you, if you would, to pray over our church and our congregation. Would you stand right now? Lord, it's been such an honor for my wife and I to get to be with, with this incredible church family, with their leadership. I pray, God, that, 
Lord, that you guide and direct every family, every household here. For such a time as this, Lord, you, you have entrusted us to be put in this time, to be placed where we're at, Lord, for what you're doing in this world, in, in this part of the world, so that, God, we may be equipped and that we may be bold enough, we may be strong enough, Lord, to reach the lost, to be a light, and, Lord, to overcome everything, every obstacle that the devil would try to put in our way to draw us away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, you give every precious saint here wisdom. I pray you give them discernment. You give them knowledge, Lord. And, God, I pray for peace over their homes. Lord, as they, are, as, we're, as, as they and each of us are working through family situations, we're constantly, Lord, we're in a perfecting, Lord, of, of holiness. And so I pray, God, hallelujah, that there would be unity in this church and that God, Lord, just as we have prayed for over their leadership tonight, I pray over this congregation. And Lord, that God, as they go from this place this week, as Lord, as they go not just into the close of this year, but into 2023, hallelujah, that you make your face to shine on them. Hallelujah, that you would bless their steps, bless their homes. Hallelujah, bless them in their jobs. I pray, God. And Lord, in all of this, hallelujah, that Lord, they would give you all the glory. Hallelujah. And God, your will is going to be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For you do all things well. You do all things well, God. And we will carefully praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Would you just take a moment to thank the Lord right now? God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory tonight, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.